0: Hello, you are listening to Strange Bedfellows, a discussion of automotive and life sciences and the convergence of those two industries. This is the series Dirty Words, where we will talk about some topics that have become very interesting discussions in the business world to the point where they are indeed almost dirty words. To learn more from our industry thought leaders, visit blog.qad.com, where you can find more excellent content. For more information about our products and services and our adaptive ERP, visit qad.com. My name is Tom Roberts, and I'm Vice President of Automotive and Mobility Sector at QAD. I've got my colleague, Mike Coleus here. Mike, why don't you introduce yourself? Hello, everyone. Uh, this is Michael Coleus. I'm the Vice President of Life Sciences. All right. Today, Mike, IT budgets. Our Ooh, dirty words for the day: always IT a budgets. One. <laughs> you know, certainly in my career in IT, and I've sometimes even heard this from uh, non-IT leadership, <laughs> where IT is a cost to be controlled. Um, nobody calls it a business enabler. They don't call it a you know a value area. Sometimes they just it's more. I hate to say it, they consider it a necessary evil. I don't agree with that. I think it can be of great benefit to an organization, but you know, IT budgets certainly carry a lot of drama or they can. Is that what you've seen as well, Mike? Oh, absolutely. Uh, You know, the notion that uh, IT is really traditionally
1: has been considered a cost center, and rightly so. The perceived value has always been one of those difficult things to show. There's always that notion of, well, IT doesn't provide any business uh, competitive advantage. They're really here to kind of give you that basic capability and really kind of keeping the lights on. Uh, And, and, you know, that's been one of those things that has traditionally driven uh, organizations Organizations to minimize IT expenses, uh, really kind of keeping that acceptable level of performance, really that base level. And so a lot of my uh, CIO colleagues, you know, that I've dealt with in the past and I've worked with in the past, you know, they're telling me that they're dealing with lesser budgets. And, and, and I'm talking about single digit percentage increases, which is really a, an unusual thing, you know, and IT really needs to change the way it's being viewed in the industry and specifically in the organization. And this starts to become more of a reality as we start to focus on budget efficiency and optimizations, budget optimization. So, you know, specifically in life sciences, there's this new desire really to give an access of data to our customers, to the end patient, really having that transparency. And there's been a huge focus on, uh, you know, digital and taking organizations digital. Because in life sciences, we're dealing with a tremendous amount of scientific data. And I'm talking about terabytes upon terabytes upon terabytes of data that are, uh, you know, really kind of needing to be analyzed. And so, you know, one of the biggest cost drivers in that, because once you have that data and, you know, where do I store that data? So there's a huge infrastructure cost that goes along with that in life sciences. And then there's that subsequent analysis that has to be done on all of that. So there's a tremendous amount of cost that goes into, uh, you know, life sciences, uh, IT, just by nature. You know, there was a McKinsey and Company report that was released uh, this past January, 2020, where they said life science companies spend considerably more uh, than any other organization outside of the life science industry. And I kind of tried to boil that down on a lot of the thoughts. And I figured out that one of the main reasons for that is that organizations are trying to remain compliant. This leads organizations to build their own version of the IT Frankenstein's monster. Because, <laughs> you know, this is their desire to leave things the way it is because we don't want to customize or we don't want to revalidate. If I if I touch anything that is going to, you know, hurt my organization's compliance, I, I'm going to have an issue. And that's going to even, that's going to further cause budget issues or cost issues. So what do they do? They decide to bolt on solutions, they handle that functionality that's missing, or to meet that compliance requirement. Now your solution begins to grow and just kind of get out of control, and you feel as though you can't get away from it. But it costs a fortune; uh, it does cost a fortune to support and maintain. This becomes an even bigger issue when we start talking about internal solutions um, that are built on technology that only one person or a small handful of people know how to support. Because you know, we all know that the knowledge leaves. You know, when that person leaves the organization. So now you're trying to get someone to manage that later on, which usually requires an organization to invest in people uh, or a consulting organization or something like that with a specific skill set. Um, so basically, what they're doing at that point is they're throwing good money
0: after bad. Absolutely, Mike. And what's the first thing you hear in a situation like that is you hear, you know, we got the initial application. The guy just coded it, you know, on, in his spare time. How come you're telling me it now costs, you know, $50,000 a year to support this thing. I don't understand. I didn't budget yeah. for that. Uh, and and boy, I mean this is something that I've seen many times uh, in automotives. You know, you start to get larger companies, you get, you know, 50, 60, 80, 100 plants. Um, there's a lot of tech savvy people out there that know, you know, C++ or or whatever, you know, they know HTML5. They they know how to create applications. Well, they also have day jobs. So they create an application it might be wonderful, have great functionality, but, you know, they might not have an idea of, um, you know, user IDs. They might not have an idea of security. They might not have an idea of how support works. The support while they're there basically is their email address or their telephone or a tap on the shoulder at their cube or at their desk. And it's just there's no way to expand that in any way. And they move to a different job. Forget about it. All of a sudden, they're getting calls. Their new job, you know, in their new job, and let's say in the organization, they get a new job. They're still being called on to support this thing, or worse, they leave the company, and you have no access to them. You got to figure out how this thing works, or even potentially worse, they have exited the company, but now they are actually a supplier of that software. (laughs) So they're trying to hold you uh, hostage for the software that they created. And again, you know that is something that happens a lot of the time. You know, and it's funny that you talk about. Throwing, throwing good money after bad. You can do you can do these things under the greatest of intentions, but sometimes it's just not fiscally viable in the end. Uh, certainly, it's something we see in an automotives. You know, in, in acquisitions, we see this that you know there's this kind of a lack of preparation in an acquisition, for example. And what I mean by that is you have a program team that's going out there to drive new business for the organization. It's an awesome thing. It's all about growth. I say, guys, go do whatever you have to do. But what happens is, is if IT is not part of the deal team, or if IT has not given the businesses a set of criteria, that's what I've tried to do in the past. Is you know, hey, if you're going into this country or that country, or we're getting into this sort of thing, here are some things you need to know before you do uh, an estimation. And I, I, you know, you don't have to tell me. I don't have to be an NDA for every single deal that you're thinking of. But here's some constructs that you want to work, that you want to be concerned with. You know, because again, what's going to happen is in automotive, you've got to follow the OEM. You know, if you're a tier one supplier, you know, the OEM goes into Eastern Europe, you got to follow them. If they're going to go into Africa, you're going to follow them. If they're going to go into South America, you're going to follow them. If they're gonna, wherever they're going to go, you've got to chase the business down. Well, if you get to a country that you haven't done business in before, that first plant cost is going to be much higher potentially than you know, your 10th plant in the US or your 10th plant in Germany, you know, you know how to do those. You've rolled them out. You, you, you've done several of them. You don't have to localize the solution because it's already localized. Well, now you're going into, you know, you're going into Slovenia, you're going to Serbia, you're going into Russia, you're going into South Africa, you're going into Brazil or Argentina. There are costs to going into a country for the first time. So that deal you know, you might've got a great piece price deal, but now you have additional overhead that you did not foresee. And that can actually cause a lot of consternation with the deal team and with IT because all of a sudden IT is hanging, is quote unquote, hanging cost on top of the deal and affecting the viability of the deal. But really it's the deal team that should have done that work beforehand. Uh, so something that I have seen a number of times in automotive with M and A. Uh, what do you see in in life sciences? Is that something that comes up as well?
1: Absolutely. I mean, acquisitions in life sciences are a huge part of the industry. You know, it allows organizations to find a faster means to achieving you know a new innovative product. It, it adds like a complementary product to their existing offering. It's just integral to an organization's growth within the industry. Traditionally, when you have the wrong person performing that due diligence. Um, it became an absolute IT budgeting nightmare. Companies just expected that a contingency would cover all manner of ills, um, and that never worked on their favor because it wasn't just a cost thing. In top of that, you're you're missing potentially real gaps in processes in how an organization's run and you know how IT is being utilized. It really does become. A, a huge burden on an organization. You know, IT and life sciences MA has gone through so many different phases. You know, initially, you know, companies thought by acquiring an organization that they should just get them all in the same systems and we're going to be able to manage it best. And it's, you know, going to be of, you know Uh, a wonderful utopia, but it turns out it was always extremely time consuming, extremely costly by, you know, one of the problems is that, you know, you lose that competitive advantage that comes with that acquisition, the longer it takes. One of the things about life sciences that I've mentioned, you know, uh, on previous occasions is life science looks for speed to market. You know, you get that Extra competitive advantage by being, you know, first to market. And if I have to spend more time in integrating an organization. Well, you know, I'm going to end up losing that advantage. So, you know, at the point where IT gets asked to take this new company into, you know, onto our, uh, onto our systems, now they're pushing back and just saying, well, we'll just integrate them in. We'll find some ways, you know, to kind of share, you know, information across systems. But you know, once again, uh, extremely you know you know burdensome on an organization. So what we've seen is when they followed that path, it became an IT architecture nightmare with bloating and really just kind of adding more and more to the organization's you know IT architecture, and that becomes extremely costly to untangle your way through all those solutions and processes and interfaces and so on. So. The direction that we see a lot of like science organizations going in is now a focus on two tier solutions, where you're taking that single tier you know solution at the top, which kind of works in uh, for maybe some shared services, and then what we do is we uh, look at you know maybe in Argentina, a Brazil. Ah, uh, Russia, or one of those other organizations where they might have manufacturing or you know they might be doing serving a different purpose. And now we put in a different solution and we kind of build use it, you know an API between that, and it does actually find itself to be a, a much more efficient process, um which you know is, is very different from. You know, the automotive industry, from my understanding.
0: Yeah, in automotive, certainly, um, you know, there may be cases where you have incredibly different business processes and organizations. But, you know, the key to automotive is really to produce a lot of goods the same way at high quality at the best possible cost. Uh, And the best way to achieve that is by maintaining the same process discipline and master data throughout an organization as much as possible. Possible. and usually that is delivered through the convergence of systems down to as few as possible uh, and certainly you know some of the research that we've seen it's really when you converge your systems down to when you converge it down to two or three they see a lot of cost advantage but it's when you get can if you can get down to one, then you see significant amounts of uh, advantage there. It's through purchasing, through the cost of maintenance of the solution, through the organizational support of that uh, system as well. You know, And when we talk about that organizational support, that is certainly one thing, Mike, where I see IT budgets have expanded, uh, and I think unnaturally, because of a lack of disciplined organizational design in a lot of companies, certainly in a lot of large companies. You know, and as I mentioned, organizational design, you know, that's one thing, Mike, where I've seen a lot of issues with larger companies that they're, they have not paid attention to the organizational design of their company. And that has led to a large IT budget. You know, it, it's where there's been a kind of a dissemination of, of roles into multiple FTEs. So if you, if you, you know, read Charles, uh, Charles Handy, Charlie Handy. He was a well-known business uh, philosopher, writer, et cetera. And he wrote um, that, quote, I have found that for me, 45 works best as the maximum size of work group. And when a manager tells me that the organization has grown to 100 people, I say, be careful. You will now start to introduce specializations and departments. You will become more bureaucratic. Uh, You'll become a machine, end quote. And that is precisely large companies, especially in automotive, have to avoid. And a lot of times they don't avoid it. Uh, I can remember one time in my career, where we, uh, I was working for a company that established a new development process, and you know, as they talked through, you know, okay, we would do this, this document, this design. We do a peer review, we do a manager review. They, you know, then we'd hand it to the functional team, and the functional team would do all these things, and the functional team would give it, and they just described this entire process for for development. And as as you listen to each, uh, you know, each area or each description of a uh, task, everything sounded logical. I mean, there wasn't anything in there that didn't sound logical, but when you stepped back from the process, you realized that it had 47 steps in this development process, 47, 47 individual tasks. And most of those required a handoff from one person to another. And it's when you step back and look at that, and you say, "Okay, this just doesn't work." You know, there wasn't anything that you said. You know, in in so well, there wasn't anything that somebody said in the description of this process that seemed wrong. It's just when you take it in totality, it's like, "Oh my gosh, there's just so much bloat." You know, I think about early in my career. You know, I uh, was tinkering with Visual Basic for uh, for. Excel. And I was doing the thing that you and I were talking about earlier, where you have somebody who knows a little bit and they create a solution. uh, And then all of a sudden it's a problem. But that was me uh, under the best possible intentions. But I coded something when I was back at uh, EDS many years ago. And the the point was, you know, at the end of the day, I was I was the coder, I was the business analyst, I was the user because I actually had to use the application. You know, I was the tester, I was the guy who worked on security, I was the guy who did all these things. And my point is, when you look at IT, you you start with the most simple concept and say where where do I have to add a role? Where is it Where is it a must? That I add a new role and split some of that work to get uh, apart. And I think what's happened in large organizations, they look to things like ITIL, and I think ITIL is incredibly valuable, but you have to execute it the right way. And I think what companies have done, a lot of them, is looked at the 39 or so different roles that ITIL identifies in IT, and they've, they've created a separate FTE for each of those separate roles. What I mean by that is in ITIL, you can have... You can have a demand manager, you can have a financial manager, service portfolio manager, service strategy manager, enterprise architect, capacity manager, availability manager, supplier manager, service owner, service level manager, change manager, configuration manager. And I've just read just a few of them. I could go on for another 30, 40 seconds reading these off. Now, take that and say, okay, what if I have different major applications in an organization? OK, well, I've got to have a release manager for everything and I've got to have, you know, an application developer. I might not know, you know, say that I have a solution that you know, works in one language and something that works in another. I have to have different application developers. Now, there's there's logical differences between some of those, but not all of these roles require separate FTEs. People can do some of these same things together. Uh, there can be business analysis work and functional work put together. And I think that that, that is a key to c- containing the cost of an organization is really looking at the role, uh, the, the roles of an organization and how those are applied to different FTEs. Because I think people can do more than they're doing today. It's kind of the whole, I think it's the law that says, you know, work expands to fill the time allotted. I think there could be a lot more compression of these roles in the FTEs and that organizations need to be very careful to do that. Uh, Is that something that you see in life sciences? You know, and honestly,
1: I I don't think it's just a life sciences, just an automotive industry aspect. I think it's an IT as a whole and it attributes, you know, I was always amazed, you know, IT is always charged to build that technology that the business is asking for. And it requires, you know, a team of analysts to sit between, you know, your developers and the business And now they've got to sit there and kind of take it and translate it into technology speak. So basically they're acting like interpreters for the business and the IT department, Um, which always seemed, you know, as if one of those things of, well, this is one of those things where we can combine these tasks um, and these requirements into, you know, a smaller set of people. And to your point, really kind of start to streamline those resources.
0: <laughs> it's funny. I've seen projects where, you know, you start, you know, used to have two in a box and then you added three in a box. I've seen projects where you've got four or five because you've got somebody, you've got a business analyst, you've got the technical person, you've got the business person, you have a analytics person. Um, you've got a process design person in there. And I've just seen these things blow up uh you know, like you're saying, into the consulting circus. And it's funny, I I mentioned the consulting circus. I think that's kind of the next thing that leads to a bloated IT budget uh, is, you know, when, when an organization... Uh, does not know how to hire outside help, there's going to be a need to look to the outside of your company to do something. There are going to be skills that you don't know. There's going to be experiences that you don't have. There's going to be uh, things that you have to bring into your, you have to buy some knowledge. But I think when companies don't manage that properly, uh, and you start to see, okay, well, we've got, you know, and, and again, I'm not, I'm not indicting any single one of these these disciplines. I'm just saying I've seen it where it can blow out a blow out of hand. You know, you've got your own project management vendor, and you've got a change management vendor, and you've got a quality assurance vendor, and you've got you know you really start to just blow up everything, and everybody has their own handoffs and their own processes, and it just starts to grow into a monster. And I think that that is something where IT budgets. Uh, have, have exploded as well, and there's some unnecessary growth in there.
1: You know, and I agree, especially when you're talking about like over the counter solutions and, uh, you know, what them being implemented and then that subsequent maintenance that goes along with it. That's an extremely costly venture, Um, you know, especially when we're trying to avoid that loss of expertise uh, with someone internally leaving that we've spoken about several times uh, through this discussion. You know, organizations put a lot of reliance on that vendor. And what does that do? That gives a lot of that power over to the vendor. Um, So organizations are often willing to overlook, you know, these vendor motivations that uh, we've spoken about. Um, For that warm and fuzzy feeling that they know they're going to be protected and they're going to remain compliant. Right. Um, And I'm guilty of this next, you know, quote, as anybody as an IT leader where you can say, you know, I can find a so and so developer on every street corner, you know, but at the end of the day, you have to ask yourself, why? (laughs) Right you know why why is there so right. many of these developers why why are they so readily available it's because they it's the it's the vendor is getting you know their piece of the pie based on the more resources you're using and it's that mismanagement you know i've been part of implementations where you require a small army to implement and then maintain that solution afterwards so you know there's always that question Uh, Or those questions, you know, from your uh, executive committee or the steering committee asking why, you know, but subsequently, you know, they're always agreeing because once again, you know, they want to remain compliant. They don't want to put They don't want to rock that boat. Um, So, you know, that mismanagement of vendors becomes extremely, extremely costly when we talk about, you know, cost per, you know, FTE.
0: Absolutely. And, and, you know, your vendor, you you know, a vendor should always be talking. Here's how we're getting to the outcome. Here's how we're getting to the end. Here's the value you're going to get at the end. If they're more busy talking about how things will look during the project, (laughs) um, (laughs) you have to know those things, but yeah, you have to know those things and it's important, but you need to see how you are going to get to your business outcome when it's coming, what the resources are required to get there. If you see that focus from a vendor, you're probably on the right track. If you don't, um, and there's a lot more discussion about the, you know, the the processes and procedures, <laughs> um, you want to see the end, right? That's what you're paying for. You're not paying for their, um, you know, their internal uh, machinations. You you are pa- you're paying for your outcome. But that, you know, again, Mike, as we talk, you know, it's because companies, a lot of the time, they'll buy something that they don't need. Um, They don't buy what they need. And sometimes they buy what they don't need. You know, there's well-conceived projects that have good adoption. There's well-conceived projects that have poor adoption. There's poorly conceived projects that have poor adoption. Not surprising. But I've also seen poorly conceived projects that actually have good adoption, at least temporarily, because it's due to some compliance thing. And I think that, you know, again, you know, in a lot of project origination, people are not, that, you know, they've got a pet project or a grand idea. They don't necessarily have the clout to pull it off. They haven't conducted, you know, uh, I guess the term is Nemawashi, but, you know, doing a Nemawashi activity to really get leadership peers on the bus. And I'm not talking about, you know, the primary transactional solutions. I'm talking more in the um, let's say just kind of more business enablement sorts of things for, I mean, what I don't mean is, for example, if you're an automotive supplier, if you are doing sequencing business with OEM, you have to have sequencing soft uh, software. Uh, If you're a multinational automotive manufacturer, you're going to need an ERP system. So I'm not really talking about those. Um, What I'm talking about is something where, you you may have the best of intentions, but you haven't really thought through what the deployment of that solution, number one, means to your organization or what you expect to get out of it. I'll use a specific example I've seen a couple of times where internal teams, let's just say, usually it's IT, but um, internal corporate teams start, they wanna start tracking their time for some reason. And it's a its a great thought. It's a thought that jumps up from time to time uh, in large organizations. And usually it's under the guise that, you know, you you want to quote, understand what your people are doing, you know, where, where they're putting their time. And it's not necessarily as a, as a, hey, what are you doing sort of function? It's more of, hey, what, You know, where's the value for my organization? Are they spending their time developing? You know, how much how much time and overhead do I put on them? Do I need to free them up by adding, you know, admins or or adding some other thing? But I think that often there's not a this equals that (laughs) sort of uh, concept with it. So what have I seen? You know, um, in time tracking. Just an example, you know, companies don't take into consideration labor laws or remun- remuneration policies or HR policy. So you start to get questions like, Well, you know, I had to leave early because I, you know, took my kid to whatever sporting event well just put five eights in there because so you get 40 hours you can't put less than seven hours in a day because then hr will get notified i mean you, you know you start to get this kind of stuff or you know in europe you might you know don't log more than 40 hours a week because we don't we're not budgeted to have overtime or you can't put in more 10 more than ten hours a day because it's you know you get in some trouble in some country you know that i've just seen these things fall apart and where it starts out with the greatest of intent, it's not well conceived. And I think that people don't look at the outcome. So if you're stuck with putting only 40 hours in there and your people are working 50 or 55, you're gonna get largely meaningless data. And again, it wasn't, it wasn't because you didn't have a good idea and it wasn't because you didn't have the right intentions, it's because you didn't conceive it properly and really understand the outcome. So now what does this mean to an IT budget? Well, all of a sudden, I have to potentially have licensing for all those people. I have deployed the solution. I have to manage it. You're going to have to manage it. Manage it for some level of time, you know, before you maybe abandon it. And then you might have a write down depending on how long, how long you've had the, you know, how long you've been depreciating the asset. I mean, it's just that's the problem. Is I think that you know this can happen in IT. It can happen outside of IT with a great idea, um, but again, a poorly conceived. Sort of project. And, you know, reporting, I think, is another one where, you know, I think a lot of there's a lot of intent to create a lot of reports and have dynamic and configurable reporting. You know, companies hire all types of data scientists and all kinds of things, but I think that they just don't know enough about the business sometimes to make the connections that are going to drive value. And again, you start to see a lot of hires that are done and potentially some tools that are purchased without really understanding how to execute. So now you're carrying all that cost. You're carrying costs because of poor organizational design, you're carrying costs because of lack of conversions from MA work, you're carrying additional costs because you have poorly conceived projects. That's at the end of the day, why I think, uh, you know, IT budgets becomes a dirty word. Agreed. No, I absolutely agree. Mike, thank you so much for today's discussion. I think it's uh, been very, certainly very interesting to me. Uh, very good discussion. No,
1: this has been a fantastic discussion. And I think, you know, it's a difficult subject, um, but it's one of those ones, that has to be spoken about
0: absolutely all right well please like and subscribe to our podcast Uh, to learn more from our industry thought leaders visit blog.qad.com where you can find more excellent content for more information about our products and services and our adaptive erp visit qad.com we would like to thank our producer katherine wagner our marketing communications director alex kemp our graphic designer travis hardy our industry marketing manager, Tanya Baze, and this has been Dirty Words.